Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you as we do each week and each day and each hour to be with us. We trust that as a God who keeps your promises, you are here and that you are always here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There is something that is true of sharks that is also true of the world. Did you know that a shark, even after being dead for several minutes, can still chomp down? That even when it's no longer alive, there's no function left in its brain, no blood left flowing through its veins, it is so conditioned to bite that if you get around its mouth for a few minutes after it has died it'll bite the world's like that it'll bite even when you think it's safe the world will bite I wanted to um, read to you this morning a passage that I read when I'm asked to do funerals. It's from um, John's revelation, his sort of vision about the end of things and what it will be like. And he has this vision of the throne of the Lord and what's happening around it. He says this, this is from Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. After this I looked, and behold... A great multitude which no man could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood round the throne and round the elders and the four living creatures, And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and whence have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night within his temple. And he who sits upon the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water. And the Lord will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
Many of us have tears in our eyes this morning and have had for the last few days. When the elder asks John who the people are gathered before the throne, John says, you know who they are. And the elder says, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. Perhaps more than we ever have in our lives, we can see life here in this place, on this earth, as tribulation this week. The feeling of powerlessness. The feeling of inability to provide safety for those that we love and care about. This seems more than ever to be a place of tribulation. And we wonder, where is God? in the places of tribulation. Because we can't imagine that he's there. We, we think that God is in the good places and absent from the hard ones. We think that it must be this way because that's what we'd do, right? We would be far away from anything difficult, far away from anything painful or frightening or dangerous. We run to the places of Safety to the places of peace, to the places of caring. But God is not like us. God is acquainted with suffering. He calls himself and his son the man of sorrows. God runs to suffering. God works in the places of pain. God lives where we are afraid. Listen to a prophecy from Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, about what Jesus Christ's life would be like. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced. For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. In fact, no one knows the suffering of the innocent as intimately as our God. It is the reason he came into this world 
to become acquainted with the suffering that we become acquainted with. The suffering that we would avoid, Jesus Christ runs to on purpose. Takes upon himself and pours out his blood in atonement. I'm going to read a couple of passages now from um, the Jesus Storybook Bible, um, which is the most profound piece of writing in the history of the English language, just by the way. I'm going to read a section um, from Genesis first. And it wasn't a dream. It was a nightmare. A dove flew from Adam's hand. A deer darted in a thicket. It was as if they were frightened of something. A chill was in the air. Something strange was happening. They had always been naked, but now they felt naked and wrong. And they didn't want anyone to see them. So they hid. Later that evening, as the Lord was taking his walk, he called to them. Children? Usually Adam and Eve loved to hear his voice and would run to him. But this time, they ran away from him and hid in the shadows. Where are you? God called. Hiding, Adam said. We're afraid of you. Did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? God asked them. Adam said, Eve made me do it. What have you done, God asked. Eve said, The serpent made me do it. And terrible pain came into God's heart. His children hadn't just broken one rule, they had broken God's heart. They had broken their wonderful relationship with him, And now he knew everything else would break. God's creation would start to unravel and come undone and go wrong. From now on, everything would die, even though it was all supposed to last forever. You see, sin had come into God's perfect world, and it would never leave. God's children would always be running away from him and hiding in the dark. Their hearts would break now and never work properly again. God couldn't let his children live forever, not in such pain, not without him. There was only one way to protect them. You will have to leave the garden now, he told his children, his eyes filling with tears. This is no longer your true home. It's not the place for you anymore. But before they left the garden, God made clothes for his children to cover them. He gently clothed them, and then he sent them away on a long, long journey, out of the garden, out of their home. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation, says the elder to John. These are the ones who have had to live a life where their hearts break and never work 
properly again. Don't you feel that way today? A broken heart that might never work properly again? Well, in another story, it would all be over. And that would have been the end. But not in this story. Not for us. God loved his children too much to let the story end there. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan. A magnificent dream. One day he would get his children back. One day he would make the world their perfect home again. And one day he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Though they would forget him and run from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him. Lost children longing for their home. And then, the rescue plan. So you're a king, are you? The Roman Roman soldiers jeered. Then you'll need a crown and a robe. They gave Jesus a crown made out of thorns and put a purple robe on him and pretended to bow down to him. Your majesty, they said to him. Then they whipped him and spat on him. They didn't understand that this was the prince of life, the king of heaven and earth who had come to rescue them. The soldiers made him a sign, our king, and nailed it to a wooden cross. They walked up a hill outside the city. Jesus carried the cross on his back. Jesus had never done anything wrong but they were going to kill him the way criminals were killed. They nailed Jesus to the cross. Father, forgive them, Jesus gasped. They don't understand what they're doing. You say you've come to rescue us, people shouted, but you can't even rescue yourself. But they were wrong. Jesus could have rescued himself. A legion of angels would have flown to his side if he'd called. If you were really the Son of God, you could just climb down off that cross, they said. And of course, they were right. Jesus could have just climbed down. Actually, he could have just said a word and made it all stop. Like when he healed that little girl and stilled the storm and fed 5,000 people. But Jesus stayed. You see, they didn't understand. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was love. Jesus stayed on the cross because our world is like this. Because these things happen. Because our hearts are broken. Papa, Jesus cried, frantically searching the sky. Papa, where are you? Don't leave me. And for the first time, and the last, when he spoke, nothing happened. 
just a horrible, endless silence. God didn't answer. He turned away from his boy. Tears rolled down Jesus' face, the face of the one who would wipe away every tear from every eye. Even though it was midday, a dreadful darkness covered the face of the world. The sun could not shine. The earth trembled and quaked. The great mountains shook. Rocks split in two. Until it seemed that the whole world would break. That creation would tear itself apart. The full force of the storm of God's fierce anger at sin was coming down. On his own son instead of his people. It was the only way God could destroy sin and not destroy his children, whose hearts were filled with sin. Then Jesus shouted in a loud voice, It is finished. And it was. He had done it. Jesus had rescued the whole world. Father, Jesus cried, I give you my life. And with a great sigh, he let himself die. Strange clouds and shadows filled the sky. Purple, orange, black, like a bruise. This morning, we are bruised. Our hearts are broken. We Suffer. But we find ourselves in Advent. We find ourselves days away from celebrating the coming of a Savior. In Advent, we wait for the one who came to suffer, the one who came to be bruised, the one who came to have his heart broken. Not only with us, but for us to fix this world once and for all. And even now, though we live in a place that can still bite, like that shark, even though it's dead, Jesus did say, It is finished, but this world for a time can still bite and does. We can take comfort in a promise. A promise that in Jesus has already come true. We shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike us, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be our shepherd, and he will lead us to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Amen.